Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Bob Berg. He's a best-selling author of the book, The Go-Giver, and a Hall of Fame keynote speaker. So, Bob, thank you, thank you for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tat. It's always great to, to speak with you on social media and to finally get to speak with you actually, well, I was going to say in person, but I guess this is kind of in person, just in person through another medium. <laughs> You know, these days, I think this is as good as in person as we're going to get these <laughs> I think, days. I think you're right. <laughs> but it is different, right? I mean, we're messaging on social, we're interacting on social, and when we see each other and we're kind of going back and forth, that's that's just a whole different level. So, Yeah, it is. But, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, you just get used to something and it becomes what it is. And, you know, years ago, and I mean, we've had Zoom for a while now and people have done Zoom meetings and Skype meetings, but it was always something, you know, you knew it was a little different. And then with COVID and all of a sudden Zoom became very necessary. Now it's become just a lot more acceptable and accepted. And now it's just a part of the regular, hey, you know, want to get on Zoom and speak. And it's, it's what it would be. You know, you can still have your cup of coffee and talk. You're just just doing it from a, wherever you happen to be. So, you know, it becomes the norm. Absolutely. So I've seen your books in many different places, and I understand your message. I mean, how did this all start? Well, years ago, many years ago, I had a, a book called Endless Referrals, the uh, subtitle was Networker, Everyday Contacts into Sales. And it was really a book on how entrepreneurs and salespeople who had a great product or service, but they, and they knew that, that it brought wonderful value to people, but they didn't feel comfortable with the process of going out into their communities and establishing and creating and building the relationships that led to, to new business and led to referral business. So Endless Referrals was really just a how-to book. It was a system on how to do that. The basic premise was that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And the book simply showed them how to genuinely and authentically create those relationships. But it was a standard how-to book. And I'd always read business parables, which are short stories that make a point and do some teaching. And, and I, I think most of us know that stories connect with people on a deeper level, sort of on a heart-to-heart -heart level. And I always thought, what a great idea it would be if we could take that basic know, like, and trust premise of endless referrals and turn it into a parable. So I, I spoke with my friend, John David Mann, who at the time I'd never met in person. He was the editor-in-chief, and this is, I guess now it's about 13, 14, 15 years ago when we first kind of came up with the idea. And we spoke in the, he was my, he was the editor-in-chief of a magazine I used to work for. So we used to go back and forth every month through email, basically, and go through the, and he was always such a great editor and he had a wonderful reputation as a brilliant writer. So he was the guy I wanted to, to work with on this and be the co-author. And, and I asked him to be the lead writer and the, the main storyteller. So we got on the phone, we discussed it. He wasn't really sure. And then he and his fiance, now his wife, they were in visiting her her mom, Anna's mom in Western 
the western side of the state of Florida. They took a four-hour drive to meet me for dinner, and we spoke for about three hours on how we envision the book and so forth. But he still had to think it over because he was very busy. And he called me one day and said, you know, I think we've got something here. And I was just really happy because I knew John could just do such a great, great job with this. And so we collaborated on it where we were turned down by about 25 different publishing houses. And then we, we met our perfect publishing partner, which was Portfolio, a division of Penguin Random House. And that's kind of how it started. Wonderful. I mean, I've written a book. I understand some of the process, but in terms of writing a book that's based on a story, fictitious character, what does that process look like? Because you wrote a how-to book and you did this book. What was your experience there? So all of my books before, John and I have written four books together in okay. the No Giver series, okay? So every book before that and every book after that, I've written myself because they've just been how-to books. And pretty much anyone can write a how-to book. Basically, you write down what you know or what you think you know, and, and you hope it you know, is actually what the marketplace wants. But a story is different. And that's that's outside, not my comfort zone. It's it's outside my strength zone because I can tell a story from stage when it's a story that actually really happened. But to put together a story kind of from out of nowhere, based on the five laws that we had and and the and we knew the the basic idea of the characters and what the story would be about, but actually writing a, a story, that's a whole different thing. And again, John was the lead writer. So I really, he did what I call the heavy lifting. Okay, so so while we went back and forth all the time and we went through every par- page, paragraph, sentence, word, letter, punctuation mark, you know, literally because we would actually talk about what should be the right punctuation mark. But he was the genius. You know, he was the guy who really was the, the reason this book sang and read as it did. Yeah, wonderful. So what are the high-level lessons that this book teaches you? The basic one is this, that shifting your focus, and this is really the key, shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others. Understanding that doing so is not only a more fulfilling way of conducting business, it's actually the most financially profitable way as well. And, you know, it's not for some kind of way out there, woo-woo type of magical, mystical reasons. Oh, just do good and give. and No, not at all. It actually makes very logical sense. Because when you think about it, when you're that person who can take your focus off of yourself and place it on helping others, on making their lives better, helping solve their challenges, helping bring them closer to happiness, what have you. People feel good about you. People want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They want to be in relationship with you. They want to do business with you. and They certainly want to tell others about you. So it really, you know, makes logical sense in doing business that way. Yeah, interesting. So are you promoting focused giving or just a general philosophy that touches every aspect of your life? What are you sort of putting out there? Well, I mean, the the principles are principles, so they work across the board. So when we look at success, 
Success covers many different areas. There's financial, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, social, relational. And now in the context of this book, I mean, it's a business book. So it's, it's about financial and it's about business success. But we also had a subplot with Joe and his wife because we also wanted to, to show that it also has to do with personal relationships as well. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's from a, a high 30,000 foot level in, in which it's not the, so much the real get into the weeds how-to book. As a parable, you're sort of giving more a general overview of the laws, but hopefully to an extent that people can take that information and begin to apply that right away. Yeah, for sure. Now, I, I believe in the, the give or gain, you know, give value yeah. type model. For people mm-hmm. that are kind of shifting their mindset and give this a try, I'm sure that some people are not successful. What are the reasons this doesn't work for people? Well, I would say it's not that this doesn't work for people because if they apply the laws, it, it will. And, and I'm, again, I'm not bragging. I'm, these are not, you know, these are certainly not principles John and I invented. These are principles that have been around for thousands of years. You know, whenever there's been market economies and people have bought and sold stuff, these laws have, have been in play. Yeah. Uh, we named them a certain way and we described them a certain way, but there's nothing new, certainly, about them. I would say that when people, if they feel as though they are doing a lot of giving, but not receiving, and they, they feel, well, I'm, but I'm doing these things, I'm giving. The first thing I'll usually ask is, in what way are you giving? Are you mm-hmm. giving in a way that the other person understands it to be of value to them? Or is it in a way that you understand it to be of value? Because value, and remember, there's a big difference between price and value. Price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It is what it is. Value is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, whether it's a product, a service, a concept, an idea, what have you? that brings so much worth or value to that other person that they will willingly exchange their money for it and be glad they did while you also make a very healthy profit. So remember, value is always in the eyes of the beholder. Mm. It's about what they believe to be of value, not what you think they should believe to be of value. But it's the challenges as human beings we all come from our own basic set of beliefs, our unconscious belief system, our unconscious operating system. And we tend to believe that the way we see the world is more or less the way everyone else sees and understands the world, and which makes sense. How could it be anything else? It's all we know, but it's simply not true. So a lot of times what we'll do is we'll, is what we would find to be of value, that's what we'll communicate to them or that's what we'll give to them, or that's what we'll, right? And they don't see it as, as value. So we've always got to, to look at it from the other person's point of view. And, and the only way we can ever know is to ask questions or research or you know, do those things to, to make sure we're operating from their, from their viewpoint, not from ours. Yes, no, I really like that. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In terms of giving value, I think some people that may think, well, what do I have to give? What are examples? Now, you know, obviously you have to sort of check in with what the end uh, recipient views as value, but what are the ways that people can approach giving value? 
if they've never really thought of it that way before. Well, remember, value can include many things. It can include time. It can include attention. It can include consistency, you know, showing up the same way every day. It can, it can include empathy to what that other person is going through. It can include appreciation. It can include connecting people with other good people. It can include sending information that has nothing to do with your product or service, but something that you found out about that person that they would enjoy. It could be many things that don't have to necessarily cost you money. Yeah, that's a very good point. Now, a part of giving value, and there's also the receiving. Is receiving a passive ask, a passive process, or is there an ask element that you recommend? It's both really in a sense. And I love, love that question. It's a great question. So, so when we talk about the fifth law, which is the law of receptivity, it says the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. And really what this means is nothing more than understanding that as human beings, we breathe out, but we also have to breathe in, right? We breathe out carbon dioxide. We breathe in oxygen, we breathe out, which is giving. We breathe in, which is receiving. The message that we unfortunately hear from the world around us all the time are very negative messages regarding money, regarding prosperity or abundance, business, sales, you know, and, and so forth. And it can really get into a person's head in an unconscious level and cause us to, to resist receiving and actually sabotage ourselves. So we do have to understand that giving and receiving are simply two sides of the very same coin. They're not opposite concepts. They're two sides of the very same coin and they work together. Now, it begins with the giving, right? That's how life works. It begins through the value you're giving others and then allowing yourself to, to receive. Uh, this is why we say that money is simply an echo of value, right? The value comes first. The money you receive is simply a very natural and direct result of the value you provided. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's passive though. We ask for the order. You know, when, when we're in a sales process and we've gotten to that point in the conversation where we've been able to successfully connect the benefits of our product or service with what they need, what they want, what they desire, what they value, we need to ask for the order. Typically, the way life works the customer doesn't interrupt you and say, well, okay, I'd like to buy. Here's my credit card or who do I make a <laughs> checkout to? So we typically have to ask. But it's very simple when you think about it because at that point in the conversation, you're simply, if you've done the discovery well and if you've been able to help them overcome any fears they may have or, or help them to overcome the status quo and, and they're well, you're simply asking them to take action on what they've already told you they want to do. So it can be very simple to ask, such as, would you like to get started? Are you ready to get started on this? Or can we arrange for delivery next Wednesday? Or so would you like to take ownership of this or whatever you want to ask? So it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It's just asking the question, but you do have to ask in order to give them the opportunity to, to buy. And yeah. then we receive their yes. Yeah, for sure. So there's giving... There's giving to individuals, there's giving in a bigger way. I, I'm always thinking, how do you make a bigger impact? How do you give more? Like, What sort of things you, can you do to position yourself to, to give more? Well, you touch the lives of a lot more people, 
Okay. And so that's, you know, that's really law number two. So where law number one is the law of value, law number two is the law of compensation. And this says your income is determined by how many people's lives you touch, how many people you serve, and how well you serve them. So law number one is all about the great, the immense value you provide. Law number two is about how many lives you impact with that value. Yeah, for sure. And then just progressing on, we're just going through the step. What's the next uh, most important thing? Well, law number three is the law of influence. And the law of influence, Tats, just says that your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. So, you know, this sounds counterintuitive when you first hear it, but when you think about it, the greatest leaders, the top influencers, the, the highest consistently money-earning salespeople. This is simply how they run their lives and conduct their businesses. They're always, they're always looking out for the interests of the other person, trying to make their lives better. Now, let me qualify this, though, if I, if I may, because it can be very sure. easily misunderstood, and I think it's important. When we say place the other person's interests first, we certainly don't mean you should be anyone's doormat or a martyr, or self-sacrificial in any way. Absolutely not at all. It's simply understanding as Joe, the protege in the story, learned from several of the mentors, the golden rule of business is that, and we touched upon this earlier, that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And the, the fastest, the most powerful and the most significant way to elicit those feelings toward you from others is by genuinely moving from what we call an I focus or me focus to an other focus, looking to, as, as Sam, one of the mentors in the story told Joe, looking to make your win all about the other person's win. And as you establish a reputation for doing this, you become that go-to person. You become that center of influence. You become that person who people know has the answers or knows what people need and is that person to buy from and refer to if that's appropriate. Yeah, that makes sense. I jumped around a bit. I'm just making sure. Do we cover number four? No, that's the law of authenticity. And this one says the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. And in the story, Deborah Davenport shared a very powerful lesson she learned, and that is that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and indeed they, they are all very, very important, they're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true authentic core. But when you do, when you, as we like to say, show up as yourself day after day, week after week, month after month, people feel good about you. People feel comfortable with you. People feel safe with you. And why wouldn't they? They know who they're getting, right? So they also, they know you, they like you, they love you, they trust you. They're much more interested in being in relationship with you. So coming from an authentic base is very, very important. It's, it's good life practice and it's good business. And, you know, we might ask the question, well, why then do some people not show up authentically? And, and we might think, well, you know, is it because they're dishonest or looking to pull one over on us? And, 
well, I mean, it's a big world. There are all sorts of people out there. So we've always got to be aware of that. But nah, you know, 99.9% of the time, when people don't show up authentically, it's simply because they don't have the, the self-confidence to do so, right? They don't recognize their true authentic value. And I, and I think as human beings, we all have two types of value. We have intrinsic value, which is simply as a human being, we bring great value with us. But we also have what I call market value. And I define market value as that combination of strengths, traits, talents, and characteristics that allow a person to add value to the marketplace in such a way that they will be financially rewarded for that. The challenge with embracing our market value, which are really our strengths, okay, is that we're human beings. And as such, we're so emotionally close to ourselves, we don't often recognize that greatness within us. We discount it. We say, oh, well, anyone can do that. Everyone, why? Well, because it's how we see the world. It's just, right? It, it, so again, we gotta, and that's when we, it, it, that's when people are, are able to easily negotiate us on price. And we don't charge as much as we should. And we don't earn the kind of income we should. And we don't feel as good about ourselves because we know we're undervaluing ourselves. And that's, that's not a good way to, to do business. And so that's why it's important that we embrace that authentic value that we, that we possess. And that's why it can be very helpful to have a coach, someone like yourself. That's why it can be helpful to you know, have someone who's, who's not ourselves, but someone who, can, who cares but can be dispassionate enough because they're not emotionally involved to be able to help us find our strengths so that we can embrace that and lead with those strengths. Yeah, for sure. You brought up authenticity, which I love. But let me me dive a little deeper into that. Obviously, how you show up authentically in your personal life and your business life can be a little different, or maybe it isn't different. What do you mean by authentic in a business context? So I don't think it is different. I think it is very, very difficult to be one way in business and one way at home, (laughs) you know? It's like the person says, well, I'm a monster when it comes to work and I'll cheat anybody to get ahead mm. and I'll, I'll be nasty and mean. But, oh, at home, I'm just such a nice person, a nice spouse and parent. Eh, very doubtful. It's, it's difficult to fool ourselves for that long, never mind fooling others. So, no, I think we are who we are. I think the big thing with authenticity is recognizing that authenticity doesn't mean this is just who I am, take it or leave it, right? I'm not going to improve, right? No, uh, that's, that's not what authenticity is, is about. It's like the person who says, well, I have anger issues and I yell at people a lot. And if I were to change and act any other way, that wouldn't be authentic. That's baloney. That's, that's hogwash. What it means is simply this person has an authentic problem that he needs to authentically work on in order to become a higher authentic version of himself. So we never want to use authenticity as an excuse to stay where we are and not grow. We utilize authenticity and the concept of authenticity in order to grow and step in to our higher authentic core. The good part about that is we can always learn how to do so. And there are so many great people to learn from. 
and it's people who are alive right now. And it can be either from being coached by them or, or hearing them speak, or it could be through reading their books. It could be through watching them on YouTube. It could be people who haven't been alive for 200 or 2000 or 3000 years. And, and yet there's books out, you know, look at the ancient Stoics and how much wisdom there is in their books from thousands of years ago. And, and it's, it's amazing how much, and we can learn from everyone. I, I think the key a lot of times though, is yeah, learn from everyone, adapt their wisdom, but don't try and adopt their personality. And, you know, we see certain people who are the, you know, the big stars today who uh, the up and comers kind of try to be them, right? And it just doesn't work. You can learn from them. They've got great wisdom, but you can't be them. You can only be yourself. So, so adapt, don't adopt, learn from everyone, but stay true to your authentic core. Yeah. I I think I know how you're defining it. No, very good. But you brought up a good point is that it's, it's not a fixed mindset, right? There's, there's always room for improvement Absolutely. and that it's not an excuse. I love that point. Thank you. So on, yeah, I think oh, there's so many different things. As a leader, you're trying to be more authentic. You're trying to create more influence. Give, what do you do to improve as a leader or as a, I guess, um, person that shows up more authentically or an improved version through their authenticity? How do you, how do you approach that mentally? Well, first, on a very basic level, you make a list of your strengths and your weaknesses. And you continue to work on your strengths, of course. But you also look at your weaknesses and you look at, I believe there are three types of weaknesses and mm. all need to be dealt with in their own way. There are the types of weaknesses that really don't matter, and you can ignore those, okay? Jokingly, I'll say one of my weaknesses is I don't run long distances well, okay? But at 63 years old and not planning on running a marathon, that's a weakness I can totally live with. I ignore that one, okay? In other words, there's some weaknesses that just doesn't matter. It's small. It doesn't affect anyone. Then there are weaknesses that we need to mitigate, okay? So... For example, if we find that we are maybe talking at people instead of listening more, okay, we need to mitigate that. We need to work on that, okay, and just simply watch ourselves on it, check ourselves on it, and, and make sure that we listen more. Or it could be that a, a weakness, well, let's say with mine again, I don't really have what's called a business mind, a business head, okay, and so... So when it comes to keeping the books and some of the business aspects, I would rather just not only delegate it, I'd rather abdicate it, okay? But that's not something you can really do and be successful. So that's something I had to mitigate. I had to learn enough about bookkeeping and I had to focus enough on the business end that at least I knew. So when I hired people out or had people in the organ, right, I knew enough about it. So again, I was just, I mitigated that, Okay. Now, then there are the weaknesses that you need to turn into strengths, okay? Mm -hmm. And as a leader, if you don't do this, you just can't effectively lead. Again, it goes back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, the person with the anger issues, okay? That person needs to take those anger issues, which is a weakness, 
and they need to turn it into a strength. And the strength being they don't operate from a, a place of anger. They don't yell at people, right? Not, you know, not without reason, not without, and there's hardly ever a reason. But, but what I'm saying is there are certain, you know, if someone's a gossiper, okay, they need to take that weakness and that is a weakness and turn it into a strength. And that strength is they only speak positively about others who aren't there, okay? And again, I'm not talking about when there's a reason that you have to, you know, be able to say what's what in, in about someone. I'm saying that for reasons of anything other than having to having to actually communicate to other people. Well, you know, if you're doing a diagnosis of, regarding this person, but I'm saying 99% of the time, okay, you're speaking positively and encouragingly about others. Okay, again, that was a weakness needed to be turned into a strength. If you're fiscally irresponsible. That's a weakness. It needs to be turned into a strength. And that strength is fiscal responsibility. So, you know, that's how you improve as a leader. That's how you improve as a human being. When you have a strength, again, keep working on those and lead with those. But when you have weaknesses, decide whether they are ones you can ignore, ones you need to mitigate, or ones you actually need to turn into strengths. Wonderful. I, I've never seen anyone break down weaknesses like that. I think that's very powerful. Is there anything that I did not cover that we should talk about? No, you did great. It was a wonderful interview. I enjoyed speaking with you very much. I've been looking forward to this for a long time since we've been social media buddies for quite some yeah. time. Yeah. So, and then in, in your advice with your book, I'm just going to ask you, what what sort of things are valuable to you? How can people bring you value? You know, I mean, I think when people read the book and then they tell others about it, if they think it's worthwhile to do and feel it will bring value to the other person's life, that's always something very appreciated and something I always take as a compliment. Wonderful. Well, Bob, I know you're a busy guy. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. And I learned, I certainly learned a bunch. Oh, thank and you. I'm sure the audience has learned a bunch as well. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you greatly. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. I also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes, entrepreneurial tips, and more. See you over there. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.